and welcome once again to all of you who are here uh, in this room this morning. Uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online or perhaps watching uh, a recording of this a little bit later on. Uh, we are so thankful that you are here with us today. All right, um, how's everybody doing? Good. How was your week? Wonderful. Yes, good, good. I had the chance uh, last Sunday after I, I, um, I spoke, you might know I slipped off kind of quickly and went straight to the airport and boarded a plane uh, for Washington State. And I was teaching on a Youth with a Mission uh, missionary training school up in Linden, Washington all week long and, and flew home Friday evening. So had an incredible uh, a week with, uh, I think there were 17 students from all over the country, uh, five or six staff. Um, first YWAM school I've taught on that didn't have any international students because of COVID. So that was a little strange. But I walked away from that week uh, of ministry in Washington, uh, teaching these young, young people that made me feel super old, and, and just realizing, you know, the church is in good hands. When I, when I look at the hunger and the passion uh, that the rising generation has for the Lord, I'm absolutely convinced that the church is in good hands. There are, there are kids coming up who just are passionately in love with God. And, uh, you know, it was great even seeing their kind of tying into our last series um, on politics, seeing their engagement and what was happening in our nation. Here we have these 18 to pretty much 22-year-olds for the most part. And they were, they were glued to their computer in the evenings, watching news come in and, and stopping what they were doing to pray for our nation. And again, it was just incredible to see that level of engagement. And uh, I know some of you in this room might be happy this morning from the news from yesterday. Some of you might not be happy. But once again, I remind us all that our security doesn't rest right, with who sits in the White House. Our security rests with who sits on the throne. And it's to his kingdom and his rule and his reign that we are turning our attention here uh, over the next few weeks. In fact, the next three weeks, we are kicking off a series called Kingdom Tide. And uh, how many of you are familiar with the phrase Kingdom Tide? Love to see your hand. All right, we got one. We got one. All right, right. Okay, oh, there, okay, we got a few. Yeah, I had literally no idea what it meant. Uh, confessions of a pastor, so I had to look it up. Turns out, and I'm going to read this because I just learned it. I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, but Kingdom Tide, and this is, this is factual, okay, this is Wikipedia right here, so you know it's good to go. All right, so you're, you're in good hands. You're in good hands with the information I'm about to share with you. All right, Kingdom Tide was created in the 1930s by the Federal Council of Churches of Christ in America. Now, now, the federal councils of churches, they were seeking a way to try to create uh, more unity uh, within Presbyterian denominations across our nation. And so in the 1930s, actually, this concept of kingdom tide uh, was put forth by the Presbyterian church. How many of you know a Presbyterian? All right, right. Was put forth by the Presbyterian church um, to um, be a way to commemorate and celebrate and remember the kingdom of God. It was one of multiple efforts, actually, to foster greater sense of unity between the denominations. Uh, another example would be World Communion Sunday. And so that was one way, again, they were trying to connect the different denominations. But to this day, only the United Methodist Church, uh, to my knowledge and to the, the knowledge of Wikipedia, uh, continues to, uh, you know, observe Kingdom Tide. 
Uh, and you see expressions in some degree uh, throughout Christendom. Uh, the Church of England actually celebrates Kingdom Tide uh, from All, All Souls Sunday uh, to the first Sunday of, of Advent. Uh, they t- set apart those weeks to think about the kingdom of God and, and the coming kingdom and Christ's rule and reign on the earth. And so uh, that's the idea behind this um, beautiful series, Kingdom Tide. We're going to be exploring the kingdom of God. And it feels fitting for us to, to turn our heart's attention towards the kingdom, even as there's political unrest and turmoil in our nation. And, and there's strife and division around the globe. What a great time to stop and remind ourselves that, yeah, while all of that matters, we want to be focused on and, and consumed by the kingdom of God and what that means for us. How many of you, when you were children, uh, or, or I don't want to judge, maybe still today, play King of the Hill. Anybody remember that game? King of the Hill? Yeah. So growing up, I had this, this uh, ditch bank down in our house in South Carolina, and that ditch looked, I mean, that hill was massive to us children. It was, this, it was a huge hill. I actually went by there a few weeks ago, kind of doing a, a nostalgia tour around my hometown, and that hill is tiny. But as a kid, it looked just, <laughs> it looked so massive. And all of our neighborhood kids used to gather in front of our house, and we would play King of the Hill. And if you're not familiar with the game, when you play King of the Hill, the idea is you have to throw down uh, everyone else. And, and the only last one standing at the top of the hill, they're the king, right? And so in order to be the king, you had to throw everyone else down. And it was always such a good feeling when you were standing on top and you watched all the bodies just laying below, right? Anyone else? No, okay. <laughs> at least for me. I loved it. Uh, and, and it hits me. If we grew up playing games like that, is it a wonder that the kingdom of this world are in such a mess today? Right? Because so much of our mentality is the same. We've got to tear others down to build ourselves up. Uh, but not so, not so in the kingdom of God. It's different. You see, the kingdoms of our world are in chaos and disarray, hopelessness, sadness, sickness, injustice, hostility, division. All of these are rampant in our world. All of these come with the kingdoms of men. But Christ's kingdom is different. His kingdom reign is peace, righteousness, justice, mercy, love. And his kingdom challenges the kingdom of this world. And so throughout this series, again, we want to we set our heart's attention on the kingdom of God. And I believe our hope is that this series uh, will bring us great hope in the midst of what can appear to be hopelessness around us. It'll remind us of our, our true identities in Christ. And uh, it'll remind us of his reign that, that exists now, that is, has come but has not yet fully come, but is affecting uh, our planet, our globe, our churches, our communities, our lives. The kingdom of God is here. Yet the kingdom of God is not yet. It's here and is not yet here. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So my job this morning is to talk about the kingdom that is present with us now. My title is This Present Kingdom. And that's what we're going to look at today, the kingdom of God that is already amongst us. And then next week, uh, Carl is going to come and talk about the kingdom that is not yet here. So there's this tension that we're living in. It's, it's here and it's not yet here. It's, it's present, yet it's, it's still to come. So how do we grapple with that and make sense of that? To most of us um, uh, modern folk, when you think kingdom, you, you probably think of a place, right? Like the United Kingdom. Or maybe more significantly, the, the Magic Kingdom. 
right? Kingdom represents a place in our minds, but not so necessarily in the original language. In fact, uh, the word kingdom in the Greek uh, is uh, the word basilia, all right? That's the, the Greek word for kingdom. And in the Aramaic, uh, it is the word um, malkuta. I might be pronouncing that one wrong, all right? My Aramaic's not great, all right? But, but these words, uh, they represent more than just a place. They represent uh, an activity. Uh, they can represent a condition, like the condition, the, the state of being. And so it's more than just a place that is here or a place that is still to come. It's about the activity of his kingdom in the here and the now while we wait for that one great, uh, great day when the kingdom is fully realized. So Jesus, when he came, when Jesus showed up, his arrival, his birth, his teachings, his miracles was him coming to inaugurate, to begin, to kickstart the kingdom of God on earth. It began with the first coming of Christ, and it will be wrapped up with his second return. But for now, we live in this, this in-between age. Uh, church scholars actually uh, will refer to the age between Jesus' first coming and his second coming as the, the, the age of tension, all right, or the church age. There's a tension because we're living in the reality. I know, dude, I, this is not good preaching. I'm sorry. I'm going to step it up for you, buddy. <laughs> right? the, the kingdom, right, it's here and it's not yet here. So we live in that tension. We live in, you know, knowing that something's resolved, but it's not all resolved. And that is part of our, our life and our faith uh, in Christendom. So let me pray. And then we're going to dive into the word together. We're going to be beginning today in Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bibles and want to open them up or, or, or power them up, uh, we'll be there right after the prayer. Father, we invite you, Lord, into this moment. Lord, we invite you right now to come and to speak, Lord. We invite you to speak to our hearts. And Lord, we, we recognize that the kingdoms of this world are in disarray. There is conflict. There is tension. But, Lord, in you and in your kingdom, there is love, joy, and peace. And so we pray, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and opened and that we would receive uh, everything you have for us today from your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 17. I want to look at this passage uh, kind of, of the kingdom here. Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. Two simple verses about the coming of the kingdom of God. In verse 20 it says this. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied... The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, right? It's not like the, the, the fall season coming is a, the leaves begin to change uh, color on the trees, right? There's not something you can look to and say, okay, here, here's how we know it's here, right? It's not something that can be observed. observed. Nor will people say, here it is or, or there it is. Because, get this, this is the point. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst, 
The kingdom of God is already here. Now, when Jesus introduces this thought, we just read past that. But you have to understand the, the gravity and the weight it would have had with the people who were hearing Jesus say this. Because what he is saying does not match up with what they expect it to happen. When, when they were expecting the kingdom of God to show up, uh, it was going to come and overthrow the Roman government and, and restore the national identity of the Jewish people. Right? They had all these hopes, all these political aspirations and desires, and they believed that when the kingdom came, this is what they would see. But Jesus is introducing a revolutionary new thought here. And he's telling the Pharisees, no, no, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. And here they are thinking, but how can that be? How is that possible? We are living under the oppression of the Roman government still. Our nation hasn't been restored to the prestigious level we expect it to be. How can the kingdom of God be here now? And the answer is simple. It's here now because I'm here now. Right? Jesus is saying, because I'm here, I am bringing the kingdom of God with me. I am inaugurating this thing. I am setting this up and kicking this off. The kingdom was in their midst because King Jesus was in their midst. And the Pharisees' question here is, is really understandable. They are expecting this clear, visible sign of the, kingdom, the coming kingdom. And here's what Jesus tells them. Here's going to be the sign. If you want to know if the kingdom of God is already at work, watch my life and the lives of people who are changed because they encounter me. Right? The, the only sign they're going to get that the kingdom of God is here, but not yet fully here, that is beginning but yet not complete, their sign will be the wake of changed lives that Jesus leaves in the trail of his ministry. That is the sign that lives are going to be changed. Human lives are the evidence that the kingdom of God has come. Jesus' teaching, his miraculous deeds, his life, death, and resurrection changes human lives. And that change uh, is evidence of the kingdom being here. Through other things that we've studied in, in the Word of God together, we know that one of the primary signs right, of His kingdom reign on earth is how loving you and I are. Right? We talked about that last week in John 13, 35. Jesus said, and the whole world will know that you're my disciples. Right? Again, not by who you vote for, not by where you stand politically, not by this, not by that, but how well you love one another. And the question to see is, how active is the kingdom of God in your life? If you want to gauge to what extent the kingdom of God is growing in your life, you can simply ask this question, am I a more loving person today than I was yesterday? Am I more loving today than I was last week or, or last month or, or last year? If you are not growing in love, the kingdom is not bearing fruit in your life. That, that was for your neighbor, that wasn't for you. Right? we got to be growing in love. That's how we know that the kingdom is bearing fruit in our lives. Jesus is basically saying the heart of the matter, when we talk about the kingdom of God, the heart of the matter really is a matter of the heart. It's the heart that he came to transform and to change. And when Jesus came, he showed us that humanity doesn't just need bypass surgery. Right? We, we need a heart transplant. Right? He, it's, we're not going to be able to fix this mess. Right? We're going to have to give them a whole new heart. We're going to have to remove their, as the, the Old Testament prophets write, we're going to have to remove from them this heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. How many of you know Jesus didn't come to change your life? He came to exchange your life, right? 
He didn't just come say, okay, your life's okay. Let me, just, let me just polish it up a little bit and put some gloss on. No, no, no. This won't work. This is sinful. This is depraved. This is apart from me. It's a whole new. If any man, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And that's what Jesus came to introduce when he set up his kingdom of God on this earth. The old order of things has passed away, and behold, a new covenant is here. A covenant of grace and mercy and love. See, it's all about the heart because God, once God gets a hold of a person's heart, the renovation of the whole person is then set in motion. Right? It begins with our hearts. Because when God has our hearts, we naturally begin to move in his will. Uh, we can know all the things there are to know and it won't change our life. The only thing that will change our life is a changed heart and the way we interact in this world. In Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 17, Paul writes this. For the, the kingdom of God, what we're talking about here, this kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. I have to remind myself of that over and over because I love to eat. All right? You can tell by this figurine, right? I love good food. All right? But the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, although there's going to be some eating and drinking at the banquet in heaven, but we're in the now and not yet. Okay? But here's the kingdom. It's righteousness. It's peace. It's joy in the Holy Spirit. When those fruits are evident in your life, the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning through you. Right? The kingdom of God is, is expanding now in this church age, in this age of tension between the first coming of Christ and, and the ultimate return of Christ. His kingdom grows on this earth as more and more surrendered lives bow their hearts and knees to Christ. And allow the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in their life. So how is the kingdom of God at work in your life? Are you seeing more peace and joy and love characterize your life? This morning, my devotional I was reading, uh, I'm doing this devotional about Bob Goff. And, and the title for today's uh, little uh, devotional was, where, where Joy is a Habit, Love is a Reflex. I love that. Where, where joy is a habit, love is a reflex. That's what life in the kingdom of God looks like as we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. And again, allow him to exchange the old for the new. I love Galatians 2.20. Sorry, on tangent, I don't have any of these on the screen. But I love Galatians 2.20. It says, you know, for, for I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Right? The life I live in the flesh, I no longer live right, but on my own, but I live by, through faith by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? Like We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who lives, it's, it's Christ who lives within us. When we're living out Galatians 2.20, the kingdom is expanding. Right? The kingdom that is here begins to grow when we're living that out. All right? The present kingdom starting point is the transformed heart and life of individuals. Because as we have individual lives that are transformed, then our schools get transformed through students whose lives have been transformed. And then our businesses get transformed through individual lives of businessmen who have been transformed. Our government gets transformed as the Holy Spirit transforms individual hearts and lives in the government, right? And as all these things begin to change and all these lives begin to be transformed, then all of a sudden we find that our communities are transformed. 
And our cities are transformed, and our nation is transformed, and hopefully the world would be transformed as you and I cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit and allow his kingdom to come on earth even as it is in heaven. We're praying for his kingdom to come here now through us, through those of us who are living surrendered lives to Christ. It's now and it's not yet. It's coming and it's not yet here. And there's a lot of speculation about the end times. How many of you have already seen something on, on social media or email that, you know, with the results of this election, we are kicking off the seven-year tribulation? Anyone else seen that? I've seen that in two places. All right, already. I'm like, whoa. Okay, people have been saying that kind of nonsense forever. And could it be? Maybe. We, we can't get into end times theology right now. I want to, but we can't do it. But, but here's what we know, right, is that whenever Jesus comes back, he's going to usher in his rule and his reign, and the kingdom will be fully realized. What we now know in part, we will soon know in full. Right now, we don't know in full. We still just know in part, uh, but we trust in God, and we recognize that even though it's here, it's still coming, and he's reigning through the church as we live our lives for him. And, and we know that even in this time, this age of tension between the first coming and the second coming, and this church age and this age of tension, we wait for that glorious day that we read about in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, where Jesus says, you know, in that final day, he will wipe away every tear from every eye. And there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will pass away. And we know that that day is coming. And we keep our eyes fixed and we live with an eternal perspective, but we don't just think the kingdom's out there coming. We need to recognize that the kingdom is already here because, because the kingdom of God is present, because Jesus is living and reigning on the earth through the church. Okay, let me give you one more illustration to help. Uh, when Columbus approached King uh, Ferdinand and Queen Isabella uh, back in 1492 about his desire to find a new passage uh, to the Orient, uh, the motto on the Spanish flag at that time was Ni plus ultra. Ni plus ultra, which meant that there is nothing beyond. In this context, the Spanish Empire uh, in the 1400s thought there is nothing beyond the empire that we haven't already discovered. And Columbus, quite apart from what he was trying to do, accidentally discovers this, this new world. And at that point, you could think maybe they should change their motto, not to need plus ultra, but to simply plus ultra. There is more beyond. There is more beyond. And in fact, I think we could say that that, that motto, there is more beyond, uh, could be the motto of the Gospels. There is more beyond what you currently see. Right, right. The kingdom of God is here, but there is more beyond that we can't see. There's more here now going on than meets the eye. The kingdom of God is expanding and advancing in part, right? And there's more going on beyond what meets the eye. But there's also more coming that's not empirically evident, right? There's the kingdom of God that will come in its fullness that Carl will talk about next week. Jesus' motto could very easily, when he lived on this earth and he did his teachings and his miracles, when he went to the cross and to the grave and then was resurrected, his motto very easily could have been to his disciples, there is more going on than meets the eye. There's more beyond what you see happening around you right now. There is a whole principalities and spiritual powers at work. God is moving behind the scenes. And that's not just true in the cosmos. That's not just true in the world. That's true in your life and in my life. There is more going on than meets the eye. The kingdom of God suggests that there is grace here and glory hereafter, more beyond. And the future is as bright 
is God's promises. Right? Remind yourselves of that. The future is as bright as the promises of God. And Jesus said as much when he reassured us that it's God's will now to give us the kingdom in part and to give us the rest later. Right? It's kind of like when you sit down at Thanksgiving dinner in a couple weeks, you say, I'm going to have a slice of pie now and the rest of the pie when everyone else goes to bed. Right? Is, is that just me? <laughs> right? But, right? I'm going to have a slice now, but there's, I know there's more to come. Right? I'm not just settling for this slice because there's a, there's a whole pie right, waiting for me. I like to think about the kingdom uh, kind of like a Christmas season a little bit. A couple weeks ago when uh, this silly snow started falling, right? Like, actually, we really needed it. Grateful for the snow. We got about 8 to 10 inches where we live a couple weeks ago. And my wife, now this, this could potentially be more divisive than the past election. So just, just, just go with me here. My wife thought that when the snow fell, it means that Christmas time was here. And so that morning, Christmas carols were playing in our house in October, no, that's, in, that's not appropriate, okay? Christmas season should not begin until Thanksgiving's over. Okay, Friday after Thanksgiving, you want to start Christmas, go ahead. How many of you with me? Okay, that's right, that's right. I see the way. How many of you like, are with my wife? Like, no, no, no. As, as long as it's a little bit cold in the air, it's Christmas time, right? We all have different stances. But the kingdom's a little bit like this, right? It's like we are living in Christmas season, Let's say you know, now or when we get past Thanksgiving, there's going to be carols playing everywhere. There's going to be gifts at every store. There's going to be Christmas decorations uh, in our homes and on the streets. And we know, it's reminding us that Christmas is coming. The season is here, but we're not, we're not to the day yet. Right? That's kind of what the kingdom's like. We're living in the season, but the fulfillment of that day, when you, when you pull the presents out from under the tree and you share them with your loved ones, when you, you sit down for a feast together, Right? Then you're having that experience. So it's kind of like that. But here's what we need to get. The kingdom, is, the kingdom of God is found wherever his transforming spirit is at work in the world. So where the spirit of God is working in the world, the kingdom of God can be found in that place. That's what it means by this present kingdom. And by leaning into Christ and by allowing him to transform our inner lives, we embrace this present kingdom and we step into God's missional work for the church by sharing the hope and the good news of the kingdom of God that is here and yet still to come. As we close, I want to look at one more passage together in the, in the book of Mark. And um, before we do that, I want to give you a little background on the book of Mark. According to early church tradition, the gospel of Mark was written by a man named John Mark. Uh, who was an acquaintance or friend, companion of St. Peter, the Apostle Peter. And, and Peter, it is believed that towards the end of his life, was wanting to share the message of the kingdom, was wanting to share the message uh, of Jesus' teaching and miracles, and his life and his death and his resurrection. Peter's uh, approaching the end of his death. He may have already been arrested. Uh, there was an intense persecution uh, against the church in Rome uh, in, uh, beginning in 64 AD with the Roman Emperor Nero. And, and a lot of scholars will date the Gospel of Mark as, as right at the beginning of that persecution. And, and Peter's there in Rome and, and expecting, if not already been arrested, that he might be martyred. His, his life might be required uh, at his hands. And, and he's thinking, you know, he was a fisherman. He probably wasn't a reader or a writer back in that day. Uh, but he wanted to preserve his memories of his time with Jesus. And so he got together with his buddy John Mark and, and Peter talked and, and John Mark wrote down what he was saying. And, and this is the gospel of Mark. And I love this gospel because it's a little bit, it's a little bit out of order. And, and it feels a little bit like one of my sermons, right? 
So now you're like, what, what is he? He was just talking about this. Why is he talking about this? Right? That's kind of how this gospel feels, right? Because Peter's like telling Mark, like, oh, I remember this time I was with Jesus on the hillside and he fed 5,000. Oh, and that reminds me of this time, right? And he tells another story. And oh, that reminds me of this time. And Mark is just furiously scribbling stuff down. So as you read through Mark, the events aren't necessarily in chronological order, uh, but it's just capturing Peter's memories of the precious moments and years he shared with his Messiah. And this is years and years after Jesus had been resurrected and went to heaven. Peter continues carrying on the message. If you read through Acts, he was persecuted. Uh, he was, he, he struck. All this stuff kind of came against him, but he still kept preaching the message. And as you read Mark 1, if you start in the beginning and you read a few verses, you'll kind of see like, oh, here's a story. And oh, remember when John baptized people? And oh, what about this? And it's this back and forth. And it's almost like Peter stops and says, you know what? I don't know how much time I have left. Like, I don't know when my life's going to be required or I'm going to be arrested or, or martyred. So b before we go any further, let me tell you what this whole thing is all about. I think right in chapter 1 of this gospel, uh, Peter kind of frames for us through Mark uh, what this is all about. In, in verse 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1, it says, After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus went proclaiming the good news of God. And then said, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Okay, the kingdom of God has come near. See, according to Peter, whose testimonies John Mark is writing down, when Jesus came, it was good news. And if you're here this morning and, and your version of Christianity or you're listening this morning and your version of Christianity isn't good news, you don't have Peter's version of Christianity. Because Peter's not just talking about something he heard about. This is something he knew. I live with this guy. I listened to this man's teachings. I saw his heart of compassion for those who were in need. I saw him lay down his life for us. I saw him rise from the dead. Jesus coming is good news. And it may be that some of us in here have walked away from the faith at some point, or some of us watching have walked away from the faith at some point because we just didn't think it was really good news. And maybe today you're listening to this message about the, the present kingdom, and you're not convinced that it's good news. Maybe you have doubts. Maybe you're unsure. I want to encourage you, if that's you this morning, listening here in this room or watching online, and you have doubts, you are in good company. Peter, who wrote this gospel that's been preserved in our Bibles that we read um, 2,000 years later, had doubts. Peter walked away. When Jesus was crucified, Peter threw up his hands and went back fishing. He went to his old profession. He thought it was over. And then he met the grace and love of Jesus on the shores of Galilee, and his life was completely transformed. And so what you need to know is that this message of the kingdom, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is good news. Not just for, you know, one day up yonder in heaven, but for now on this earth, as the kingdom of God advances, this is good news. Peter would say, I think, that this is good news because God came near. Because of the incarnation. Because Jesus left his, his home in heaven and he came here. Because God came near, it means that you are never far. You are never far. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, 
whether you realize it or not, God is near to you. He's near to me. Because the kingdom of God was ushered in with the first coming of Christ. Just like Jesus changed Peter's life, he'll change your life and my life if we let him. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. It is a present kingdom. The question that we must ask ourselves today is, are we willing to turn in the direction of the kingdom? Are we willing to repent and believe the good news? If we do, I believe it can change everything for us just as it did for Peter. When we embrace the good news of this present kingdom, the kingdom that is here, the kingdom that is near, the kingdom that is already here in our midst, it can change everything and transform our hearts and transform our lives.